0: Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. Why don't you tell us what you picked?
1: I picked a story called Items Awaiting Protective Enclosure by Taya Orbrecht.
0: And go ahead and uh, read a section for us.
1: All winter, you drift along trails and fire roads together in the blue hours before sunrise. Geese vault overhead. Thick mists leave the bitter root peaks and come coursing down into the refuge. You grow to love the cold walk from your porch to the corner where Wade picks you up, the bitterness of his whiskey-laced coffee, the way the snowpack warps your bulky shadows. Together, you scout tracks, cut and climb fence, disable cameras, dodge patrols, sift through acres of deadfall in your pursuit of the shed antlers of bull elk. Most of the sheds have spent a decade or more underground, a vestige of the days of the great herds that once wintered around Fell Gulch. Generations of cast bone, brittle scimitars snared in tree roots, or forking up where occasional mudslides have overturned the hills. You dig for them in gullies and creek beds below south-facing slopes and along old game trails Wade first prospected with his father as a boy. You're wary of encroaching on what was once a Dufrane family enterprise, but Wade has a lot of sympathy for your current predicament. He, too, grew up in West Gulch with a renter in the attic and a father prone to rash, costly decisions. He's surprised your families don't know one another. Like yours, the Dufranes would let their house to Snowys every Christmas and drive south to winter on the parched shores of Lenny Lake. Wade even supports an arthritic mother somewhere in Minnesota. All of this is nominally why he sees fit to cut you in on his shed hunts. Of course, you suspect there may be something more to it. Something warm and visceral and conspicuously unspoken. On a good day, the two of you haul 20 or 30 pounds of bone back to Wade's place, a converted garage behind Zeke's Antiques. Between shots of whiskey, you lay the antlers out like kindling and sort them into pairs. Wade can read the life in them. Tridents of bone notch with a hidden legacy of battles and famines and narrow escapes. He teaches you the criteria of appraisal. Straight or crooked tines, spreads, points. Elk sheds sell by weight and come out to about $200 a pound. This is for hard white the stale stuff, probably older than you are. Fresh brown, newly fallen, dark with recent life, is a thing of the past. Wade hasn't seen fresh brown sheds or any other evidence of living elk in years. He can't begin to guess what they might be worth. Your dealer, a scrambled voice who goes by the moniker Antler Dam, communes with Wade once a week by telephone. He wraps your money in turn-of-the-century plastic bags, which he leaves in a broken toilet tank at the Carter County Library. He is responsible for shipping your plunder to lavish and remote destinations. Canada, where bonesmiths work in secret to carve the antlers into walking sticks and knife handles and door knockers, or California, where black market apothecaries grind them into powder, measure them into tinctures and compounds. On radio broadcasts and reward flyers, the Forest Service calls you poachers. Yet in his more winsome moments, Wade likes to say you're nothing but vernal custodians.
0: Cool. Where'd you find the story?
1: I found it in uh, the best American short stories. Your go-to. Yeah. Well, I I just have a bunch of them. I'm just reading them.
0: And had you read it before or was it one that you just came across?
1: Just came across it. Thought it did some really cool things and should talk about it.
0: Awesome. Well, what do you like about it?
1: Um, I like, what do I like about it? I like... um, I like the setting it creates a lot, and the the kind of the the mood of the setting, which interacts with the mood of the characters, obviously. And I really like just um, the flow of it. I don't know; it's a good story. I just enjoy it because it's a good story.
0: Yeah, not to jump to my takeaway, but there's so much going on here, and like you said, it all kind of interacts with each other to create that overall mood. Like. The characters are a certain way. The setting is a certain way. The thing that they're doing, like hunting these sheds, it all feels the same. And then even the time and place them has this kind of like past its prime feel i wondered did you read anything like about the story or do you only have like your own interpretations of it
1: i didn't read anything about it no
0: yeah i feel like i couldn't really find anything i didn't look super hard but um it felt to me like i don't know some kind of like cli-fi climate fiction
1: that it's one of the reasons i thought i, I would bring it to the podcast because we've talked about cli-fi um woodland mm-hmm. millet Lydia Miller, is that her name? Yeah. And then it also does the second person.
0: Yes. Love it. I love it, John. You know me so well.
1: Yeah. So this is like (laughs) definitely podcast material. It's got this (laughs) stuff going on.
0: Well, it's funny when you started reading the excerpt just now, I forgot that it was that it was in first or second person. Yep. Of course, it's like the first thing that hits you when you start reading it, because that's like one of the most jarring perspectives. But um, once you're in it, you kind of forget how it was told. And then when you're back in it, you realize that, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but that point of view, like adds this whole separate thing to it. Like you're always experiencing the story in hindsight through the character. That character is reflecting.
1: Oh, I see what you mean yeah i like that what you said where you forgot about it because we make a big deal out of narrator whether it's first or third And second seems like this weird thing you shouldn't be able to do, but people do it all the time. But at the end of the day, we still, when we read, just create a character in our mind and put that character in place of whoever the narrator, whoever the actor within the story is supposed to be. And it doesn't matter how you refer to them, right? If it's referred to as you, you know, it's not me. I read it. I knew it wasn't me. I I created a character and like that was the character placeholder for all these actions.
0: Yeah. And that's why I like to say too, that I wouldn't necessarily encourage someone to pick this perspective and write a story with it. But if you've ever used second person, it was probably something that came kind of naturally to you. Like you don't need to pick a point of view and you know stress about whether it's the right one. Just go with the one that sounds good and then tell your story. And like you said, it won't matter to the reader after the fact.
1: Yeah, I don't think it I mean there's there's certain things you gain and lose by doing each one obviously, but ultimately like over the art, you know, the whole as a story when you think back on it, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. So definitely felt like Cli-Fi. They refer throughout to something called posterity. Yeah. And it's always capitalized. And it's like they're referring to this kind of past existence that they had.
1: Posterity felt to me like it was referring to some sort of legal, like some big legislative package that had been passed to like outlaw eating meat and outlawed hunting and all this other stuff.
0: Yeah. That makes more sense right and whatever it is because we don't get like this full explanation what we're doing what you did which is interpreting these context clues yep. whatever it is we get the sense that like this current world is in decline it's in flux there are things that used to be that are no longer and these are the people that are like living through the change right they knew what it was like before and they know what it's like now and so they they're like experiencing these losses and then it feels super futuristic too the way they talk at the beginning you almost forget this part of the story about the burial pods and how we have things like this today where, you know, instead of going in a mausoleum, you can become a tree or get burned up and turned into jewelry. Like, we're we're going that way. This is not far-fetched. But the story opens in a way that makes the, this pod situation seem a lot more common. It's expensive and it's newer, but it's people are starting to embrace it. And you're basically, it sounds like, buried with a bunch of other people. You turn into a tree. But it starts with this idea that Once you die some part of you physically or spiritually continues to be part of the world doesn't just disappear it feeds off of the world and it, you know it feeds new life somehow
1: yeah you're you're basically food for the tree that's going to grow yes. right
0: <laughs> yeah so people like this idea and it you know with all good stories you're reading it and you're just like kind of into the plot and then you take a second maybe during or after and you kind of re- realize that like you know that's a metaphor that's carried throughout this story at first it seems like a scene setter or like a tangent the information that we're getting about the father and his health and how he's contemplating how he's going to be buried but at the end i kind of thought about it and she does a great job of making sure all of these separate parts of the story come together and mean something they're not separate
1: yeah that first section i mean that's how the character meets wade right but it does feel like, you know, as far as plot goes, it feels kind of random. Like, okay, she's going to find a place to bury her father who thinks he might have cancer, turns out not to have cancer.
0: Lies about whether or not he knows he has cancer.
1: That, yeah, <laughs> which is keeping her home instead of going back to college, conveniently. Mm-hmm. But, It seems extraneous. It seems like just a detail, just a random detail, but you're right. It does connect with all the other stuff that's going on in the story.
0: Right. And then also it serves the key purpose of reminding us how she's met Wade. So, yeah, this feels like Clarify. The other thing that this story reminded me of, and you'll be so proud of me because I looked up the title instead of, you know, giving you vague plot details and having you guess what I'm thinking of, which I like to do. But for this, this one reminded me a lot of the very recent one that we did called The Saddest Case of True Love. Oh, yeah. So it's the exact same envelope,
1: right? Oh, yeah, it is.
0: The exact same. It's a husband and wife. The phone rings. This time the wife picks up and is immediately launched back into... A past love affair and the story is all told about the past love affair we briefly at the very end circle back to present day where she's happily married and she reflects then on having this Wade flashback because he calls her out of the blue it's just like the saddest case of true love where the the husband's like yeah I got a letter and then starts recounting the woman that sent the letter and the encounter they had years ago and we I think came down and decided in that episode that the format even though it feels kind of like a setup and unknown necessary. It does add something to it. I, w- I just wouldn't necessarily suggest anyone start a story that way. I think the people that are doing it this way are like, they kind of know what they're doing.
1: This, the first line is like, you could do some complicated stuff here. Cause it begins one evening, almost 30 years later. That's yeah. like, The first thing, it's like, later than what? What what is happening? It kind of gets you off kilter as a reader. Like, I don't know where I am. And then you settle in pretty quickly, but that's one of the effects it has.
0: And okay, as a reader who's looking at this on a, internet page versus a book. Oh yeah. I don't have like an exact sense of how much is left. I but I can tell on the side, you know, I'm going to be scrolling for a while. And the whole time I'm looking for a break in the text that will physically signal to me that we are back in present tense and it doesn't come. We remain in this, you know what I mean? So I'm I'm waiting for something that doesn't happen. I'm and at some point I resign myself to the fact that I'm going to be hearing this other story. That's why I wouldn't recommend it. She pulls it off, sure, but the whole time I'm like, and but wait, what about Not until the
1: very end. Yeah, part of why, how she pulls it off is because halfway, um, that last line of the entire story, she's talking, she's kind of reflecting on, well, the thing that he says to her is like, oh, your voice sounds the same. And then she, at the end of the story, she's like, and his voice sounds the same too. All it takes is the sound of Wade's voice to unearth that other part of you. Clenched around your guttering 20-year-old heart, intact, still and always in that moment, in that clearing, raw and sweet, right down to the marrow. That line, raw and sweet, right down to the marrow, is, our, I think, word for word restatement of the of how they described Wade earlier in the story when he was trapped in that cabin and came upon the elk meat. They described the elk meat as raw and sweet, right down to the marrow.
0: Right. It wasn't until I finished the story and thought about that line and how it was you know, directly lifted that I even bothered to try to figure out what the title of the story meant.
1: Oh, yeah. I did find out what that, where that came from. Mm -hmm. Apparently, she was on a um, a tour of a museum or something, and saw the line, uh, like a a label uh, or a sign on a door that said "items awaiting protective enclosure," and thought that that's a good line. I need to write that down. Wrote it in a notebook or something, and decided to put it in a story or use it as a title or something. She had to use it, and that just the story. This was the story she was working on, and she slapped it right on there. She's like, "This is perfect."
0: Wow. Yeah, so it took me a while, and uh, when you sent me this link, and I pulled it up, and I was like, "Is this the right website?" Did John send me the right link? Like, if you guys pull it up, and with this version of it, just like the illustrations bizarre, the title doesn't read like a fiction title, and I was like. What is going on? (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't until I kind of looked back at it that I thought, okay, I kind of get what she's talking about because she revisits that sentiment like we just discussed at the end. She's talking about like at her core, she is... Vulnerable, she's the same person, blah blah blah. And it sounds like this experience for her, a lot like the world that they're living in at the time she's reflecting on, has like hardened them, right? They've had to do things to survive, and part of that, especially in Wade's case, is cutting her off. So that is the protective enclosure, and the items are the marrow,
1: yeah. And it first comes up when Wade's description of uh, of people who are going to be buried, mm-hmm. these are items away. Awaiting- protective enclosure what are you going to bury them in yeah so in that moment you're thinking about it as her father
0: right good point
1: The story does do a lot of great like making those cross connections throughout
0: right And I felt like a hypocrite enjoying those things because I talk a lot about how, you know, in high school, you had to write a paper on a book, you would go read the literary criticism that all felt like messages you couldn't have hoped to encode or decode as a, you know, 16 year old. And it gives you this idea that literature should be complex and it should require all this further like introspection and that there are buried references and things that we're supposed to have to really work to understand. Anyway, I didn't feel like I had to like work super hard for her stuff, I felt like it was so well done that by the end, all of these connections were made clear to me. It wasn't as if I wasn't thinking about it throughout. It's just that i had to finish the story before all the little wires were connected and the bulb went off right it's not like i had to go read a yeah. book about it and be like well, what did she really mean by that oh she's talking about the virgin mary or this is a symbol of blah 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 you know like nothing like that it's just complex in the sense that it's there's a lot going on
1: yeah that's i think um when th- when you notice a thing like that i think that's good enough good enough to just notice it and to like be like oh there's there's a connection there and right. you kind of you know to experience of reading fiction is, is not, it's not usually supposed to be cerebral. It's supposed to be emotional, right? It's an, it's a, an experience, not a problem. So you're, you don't, you, you can spend time thinking about it later and trying to like dig deeper into it. But the, the actual experience of making those connections is more intuitive, more um, in the moment. And that's probably better, more fun for the experience than trying to dig into it later. Right. The way you would in high school or undergraduate.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, she wants us to to make those connections. She wants us to get it. So a lot of times with those high school papers, you also got the sense that you weren't supposed to know you were supposed to have to try and here it's like she wants you in on it but she's just so good at what she's doing that she can do it in a really clever way and by the end it all I don't know it's like she's like baking a cake or something like all these different ingredients and you're like what the fuck's going on
1: I mean, one thing as writers to you know if you find yourself using the same word to describe two different things you know you think about why am I using the same word and then you try to find how they connect to each other and then you can start punching that up and she's literally reusing lines to describe things so they're making the those connections really clear.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a good exercise. Oh, yeah. Almost like a prompt. Like a prompt would be, (laughs) describe this apple. Now use part of your description and apply it to something else later in your story that's not an apple. Blow your own damn mind.
1: Yeah. So you have to come up with how something else is like that apple and why it'd be important to make that connection between them for your story.
0: Right. Like even if you're like, it's juicy and red. And then later you were like, her lips were juicy and red. Like that would add something that seems intentional there's a layer that's right yeah so i found out after the fact when i was reading about her that she's only 35 oh nice no that's not that's not okay
1: <laughs> it's just <laughs> that good
0: <laughs> oh, i was so upset <laughs> and she's got all these titles and awards and I was like, I can't, I cannot believe it. And of course she wrote the, I think this one was like a 2017 or something. Yeah. It's recent, but it's not, I mean, she was 31 when she wrote it. So, you know, I'm behind is my point. <laughs> yeah. And um, she, she wrote a book and I read the summary and the book's like just this totally different. She seems to be really good based on my cursory search at coming up with these really complex characters, settings, and kind of, connections and relationships to each other back to the part where the father seems like like a tangential part of all of this like the father is a full character the friend that tends bars a full character even though he's briefly on the page like so often we see writers introduce other characters that are not necessarily fully realized or they're like so fully realized that it takes away like from the core of the plot right like if we spent too much time on I think his name is Keith or Kevin the bartender it would probably Kenny Kenny so close it might feel like some kind of like a red herring, right? Like, but he just kind of serves as her foil back then, right? He's pressing her and talking to her. He's he's not like a huge part of the plot, though. So that felt important somehow to note that she's got all of this stuff going on. And then just her language throughout. When I asked you why you liked it, I think you said something about the way it flowed or something, but that's what I was just instantly struck by how every sentence feels like there's so much good stuff going on. And whether it's like the, the name of the place fell Gulch or oh, yeah. just like the adjectives and the whole premise of um, the sheds, like that's not a word that you're reading over and over and over in fiction. Right. And you're having to kind of learn the vocab that these sheds, Shed hunters use all of it. Makes it feel so alive and and fully realized. So we talk sometimes about writing what you know, and that's I think a good like I don't know that she shed hunts, (laughs) but if she did, it would make a lot of sense to me because this feels authentic in in a way. But when you're able to use that like vernacular, I think like or the jargon of whatever that is, it adds something to it.
1: Another thing she does uh, that I marked, especially in my second reading, but I noticed in the first one too, is using non verbs as verbs, like she. Mm-hmm. Verbed a lot of words, she and the, the one that I marked as just as an, as an example, the character you are visiting, the uh, Sill, I think is her name, but is visiting the some old woman or something, and it's in this giant house, and she says, uh, "You can't help thinking of her heating bill, what it must cost to be able to willow around in such a thin nighty this time of year." The word willow there is not a verb in any normal sense, but you know it's so evocative. It's such a great word. For that you see this like thin willowy person moving around and it's just it encapsulates all that. It's great
0: yeah like okay i'm gonna read this sentence and i don't know half the words but <laughs> but when i read sentences like this and it felt like it was packed with it i didn't reread them because i didn't understand them i reread them because they there was something there a lot of this felt like poetry somehow and i'm not a poet so who knows but it says knowing more about her own possessions than she does thrills you so this is the old woman and it says so does every Every corner of this new secret world you've staked with Wade. The coded cuts on the trees, the white silence of the refuge, the alpine glow gilding the rumpled chevrons of the bitter roots, the black breaks of runoff ribboning the snow. Like holy shit, you couldn't hope to write a sentence like this. This shit's coming out <laughs> of here. Like she's possessed yeah this comes naturally for her i felt reading this that it was not overwrought it was not hard for her to do it felt effortless and real and that's why i'm so jealous and she's i think she lives in the u.s now but she's from another country and i couldn't help but wonder after the fact like if i don't know she's got some abilities knowing multiple languages to make english um, so much
1: better (laughs) oh i wouldn't doubt that it's kind of Like Nabokov, we talked about English was like his, you know, 130th language. There is something about when you learn other languages. Yeah. Because English borrows so many words from somewhere, so many other places that you might have just have access to more words because of that. But also, you know, other languages color. The way we think about things in slightly different ways. You might call something something slightly different. And then if you bring that into English, it's like new and interesting. Right.
0: I have to blame this skill on something that I don't have. You know, <laughs> It's not time or youth or the desire to write the book. So I'm just going to pretend that it's because she, she speaks multiple languages.
1: It definitely helps. I found that one thing that helps me if I want to try to do a thing like this, and I, I'm not going to claim that I can do it as well as she's doing it here, but it's just to take each sentence sentence and spend more time with it than i would normally right you know like all right let me think about this word this is a terrible word why don't i pick a different one what right. is a better word and like it might take 10 minutes <laughs> oh it might be something that i think about that sentence and then later in the shower i think oh yeah that would be a better way to describe <laughs> it you know all the good ideas come in the shower when you can't write them down
0: yeah exactly that's yeah that's god's way of saying it wasn't that good and bad idea <laughs> But I think too, like, not everyone should rush out and get a thesaurus and try to make every sentence sound like the one I just read. But that one arrives like at the end of a scene and there's a break afterwards. It feels earned and it feels like important. So. She's got this rich language throughout, but then she's got gems like that, which you want to like read 10 times and embroider on a pillow. But that was a really good example of what we're, what I'm talking about.
1: I think another thing for as far as using words like this is rumpled chevrons. The sentence you wrote, read says um, the open glow gilding the rumpled chevrons of the bitter roots. The word chevrons there, I think of it in like, um probably because of Jenny, but I think of it as like a fabric pattern kind of thing. Yeah. You see it in other places and you can apply that idea to other places. But if you become aware of words being used in their specific contexts like that, yeah. and you just broaden what context you're aware of, you have access to far more words just because of that. So this is why reading widely in different kinds of places is, is a good way to introduce yourself to more vocabulary, which those words then can, help influence the way you write scenes in your own fiction
0: yeah like i said i read that and i was like i don't i don't know what any of this means (laughs) but (laughs) it still felt rich and real to me
1: oh yeah you can sit down with it i mean most of those are pretty simple words they're not it's just put together the way they are
0: so she's talking about this whole time. There's this underlying plot in the backstory, right? There's the overall story, which is I'm leading a happy life. Wade calls. I'm thrown back into it. And afterwards I reflect on the fact that, yeah, of course at the heart, I'm still the same person, but I'm also like in a different place in life. Whatever. We don't get the satisfaction of knowing how the rest of that conversation even goes. Yeah. We're just at the very beginning. We probably though get the sense that like, you know, Wade screwed her over and even if she could like tap back into the way she felt for him this is firmly in the past which is why we spend the entire story firmly in the past instead of wade called and i met up for coffee right
1: <laughs> that's right
0: so there's there's that story but then within the backstory that she's unspooling for us here the whole thing that we're kind of waiting to hear about is how wade got into the funeral business because he had a near-death experience he actually did die and then they like, came back and she asks him once or twice how did you die and he like hints at it, but doesn't tell her the whole thing. And she finally, like two-thirds of the way into that backstory, gets to hear the full story from the guys at the bar. And um, they talk about how, like you said, he was out there hunting sheds or something and got stranded and ends up finding this like abandoned cabin with a freshly killed elk and he's like frozen and starving but he waits to actually eat that elk because like you're talking about like they're not supposed to be eating this and this at this point is like a sacred endangered animal and then he finally eats it and when they rescue him that meat keeps him alive for three days and when they rescue him they said that it was the shock from going from like you know almost being frozen frozen to being warmed up that puts him into cardiac arrest and he has this near death experience. And then they say, when he comes back, he's got elk blood in him. Right. So there's, she does a great job too of, um, of keeping that, that myth alive for the reader and for the character, and then delivering on it. So that whole backstory is what you kind of realize you're waiting and reading for. And then also you want to know why it is they never got together. And um, she comes back around to that, like their kind of last encounter when she all but tells him outright that this could have been something, but it's Obviously not going to be that. So see you later. There's so much going on.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if we want to think about the story, is she gets a phone call, she hears Wade. Wade says, you sound the same. She's flooded with memories and she thinks, oh my God, I'm hearing his voice and I'm the same person I was when I was 20 and I had this unrequited crush on him. And then the story ends. Yeah. Like it's like a setup, right? But this is the whole story.
0: Right. It's, it's the story of unrequited love.
1: Yeah. We don't know why he's calling at this moment.
0: Right. Which is a trust.
1: Yeah. What is going to happen next? I mean, we don't need to. I mean, that's not what the story is.
0: No, but, you know, as someone that watches The Bachelorette. (laughs) Yeah. So, right. And that's every story, right? Man versus man, man versus self. Yeah. This might be man versus self versus man versus nature. But... Yeah, and it's not unique in the sense that it's unrequited, but she's just doing so much with it. Absolutely. Well, this is my takeaway and it's stupid, but I'm not going to be able to articulate it properly, I don't think. But when I read this, like I said, there's just so much going on and it made me realize that in all of my stories, when I've done something and accomplished some kind of feeling in, in the reader and I'm proud of it, maybe there's a couple things going on, but there's never been this much going on. I've never spent that much time on anything like you said if this was my story I would have told the ex-boyfriend called me or the could have been boyfriend called me and this is what I thought about it it would have been like so much shallower almost or just like a thinner story or not even necessarily shorter because I can write like some longer things and tell myself I've accomplished something with the length but the length here is like beside the point it's like what she's doing with all the words that is packing in so much and so like we said it's the format of the story it's the whole bit with the fog It's the whole bit with this cli-fi thing and the setting that you're not used to and the whole premise of having to hunt for elk sheds in the first place. I mean, they could have been bowling buddies that should have dated, right? But she didn't pick that. She picked something completely different. And I guess my takeaway is that if you want to write something that comes off as like expertly done and crafted, then you probably have to spend a lot more time adding to it or brainstorming your idea in the first place, right? She does seem like the type of where this occurred to her all at once. You know, somehow, like the scene and the setting. I don't know how hard she had to work to create it in her own mind. But for me, I know it would require some like very concentrated effort. But it, my stuff would be better for it. And the only way I can think to do this is something I've also talked about on the podcast in the past, which is like when I come up with like a phrase or a character or a setting that I like, just like those one-off shower thoughts that you mentioned. Sometimes I'll write them down in a Google Doc or email them to myself and I make sure they all end up in the same place. And then when I'm like gonna go sit down and write something, I see all these like disconnected ideas and some of them sound really dumb after the fact, but sometimes you can pick a couple and add them together, right? So I've done that for stories. For this, it'd be like five things and it's not supposed to be like, what's it called? It's not like a Mad Lib. You're not trying to insert something here that doesn't fit or really like force it. But like you said, trying to find the connections between ways you've described an an object or trying to find connections between themes and things like that in your own work and spending more time with that. That's my takeaway from this is like, I'm not this natural born writer that she is, but I could probably work a lot harder and get closer
1: yeah my takeaway is basically the same thing so i just i'll just build on what you said because what i was thinking about with this is like you know she did the cli-fi thing she did the second person narration right and who knows how much time on every single sentence getting them all just beautifully crafted she made all these interconnections and my basic takeaway is when you're writing a story just put everything into it don't leave like don't say oh that's a good idea but i'll save it for something else like just throw everything into the story Because, I mean, you know, as long as it's not like the last minute aliens show up or something crazy like that, but any of everything that fits... Put into the story because that's what's going to fill it out and make it. It's going to elevate your story. So I don't want to claim this of a story I wrote, but I remember one of my recent stories. Sitting down and I told myself, I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend extra time on all the sentences. I'm going to spend extra time. I revised that thing a million times. It had already been sitting, you know, for a couple of years, and I'd revised it before that. But this time I was like, this no, this is going to be. I'm going to put more effort than usual, and I think it turned out much much better than other stuff i've written turned out just for that effort and uh i think this story kind of demonstrates that you can you can really put a lot of work into a story and have it come out just amazing
0: yeah who would have thought the answer is working
1: harder yeah no sorry listeners our takeaway for this episode is you gotta work harder
0: (laughs) i think it's totally true like just don't put the story to bed yet good enough's not good enough and yeah she probably poured everything in and that's and she probably pours everything into everything she does
1: yeah i bet that's right
0: yeah my work ethic is to half-ass everything
1: I know that I think that's important to just remember every once in a while that it's not you can't just like skim through these things and and hope that it turns out good at the end. You do have to put in the work
0: and you'll know if you put in the work. We're not talking to people that are already, you know, staying up until 5 a.m. like some people on this podcast to squeeze <laughs> writing in. We're talking to people like me who are like, I'm too busy for that. I'd rather do this this other thing, you know, or this is good enough and I'll write it all at once and I won't revisit it. You know, you know when you've put in enough work or when you know you're at a point where you need input. Yeah. Usually writers are very aware, no matter how talented they are, of how much effort they've put into something. Yeah. Whether or not they've met their own skill set. So just be honest with yourself yourself if you've got more to give like john said just cram it all in there because this could be your only this could be your only work it could be so good that it gets published and then everything's out there yeah don't hold back it's like it's like don't uh save your Nice jewelry for the special occasion. Because what if it never comes?
1: Yep. That china in the attic that you're saving yeah. for the queen.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, w- what are you saving that shit for? No one's going to read it.
1: Yeah, the queen's not going to announce her. She's so just going to be there. So you got to have it ready.
0: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. have to be ready. To...
1: These, these metaphors are quickly falling apart.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, napleswritersworkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.